Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. Guys, it's our weekly, our Thursday night preview of the matchup Carolina faces on Saturday. This time it's Old Dominion. And Jason, I'll go to you since Greg and I have talked plenty this week. Must-win game for Carolina. How does a team bounce back, especially on the defensive side? How do you bounce back from what you faced last week moving forward, facing a team that may not be as good as anybody else left on your schedule, sans one or two teams? Well, the what you just said really helps. <laughs> helps uh, the first thing is that they're not as good as anybody else left on your schedule. That helps the bounce back. The other thing is they don't have Lamar Jackson uh, or a bunch of playmakers in the passing game, which is really where Carolina's given up the most plays. So, you know, hopefully what you're able to do is return to your base defense, have your defensive line win the line of scrimmage, and, uh, and make things a lot simpler for, for everybody on defense. And I think the offense is, is, is going to be fine. I think, the, I think most people saw that the offense uh, – is maybe further ahead through two games than, than what we expected. Jason, you mentioned the, the base aspect. And I remember a few years ago when Gene Chizik first started, North Carolina had some problems in the first half of a the game. They go into halftime, and Chizik says, you know what, guys? We're going incredibly base. Everything we do in the second half are all base calls. You guys, if you want to win this game, you make the plays. You execute. There's enough there in that game plan for you to do it. Get it done. Uh, and it worked. And it's a very simple thought. But is that what this defense needs? I know it helps to have the opponent not have a very strong offense. Ray Lowry is a good running back. We'll have to see if he actually plays today. But this is a team averaging 24 points a game. They haven't played any really good defenses thus far. So it really looks like this would be a opportunity for Papuchas to take that approach of saying, let's play bare bones, do your assignment, get after it, and let's rebuild some confidence. Is that a, is that a possibility? Is that a good approach, do you think? I think that's certainly a possibility. And, and the question really is, what, what do you think you're going to need to have in your toolbox coming out of this game? You know, the problem is that in order to, to be able to defend dual threat guys, in order to be able to defend some of the offenses out there, if you just line up in base and you just make basic calls and you, you basically let people know we're going to be doing this before the play and you don't have Alabama personnel or Clemson or Florida State personnel, it's going to be hard because, you know, they're going to be able to, to basically say, okay, well, we then can do this. And offense is, is left holding the chalk and – and that, that makes it harder. So you usually have to have some other bullets in the chamber. 
and you have to be able to do more than just the very basics if you're if you don't have guys that can just win every matchup across the board that's what makes it hard at the same time and this is where the balance comes in if you're doing stuff that's complex enough that you're not actually that your guys are missing assignments well then you're better off you know potentially getting getting whipped doing the base assignments that you're actually that you're actually trying to carry out that you're actually carrying out properly and maybe just depending on the other team to win a matchup somewhere forcing them to win a matchup somewhere so that's the balance that you've got to strike and yeah they could probably come out and go base in this game based on the uh, old dominion's performance offensively in the first two games against you know a pair of juggernauts in uh, massachusetts in their second game in albany new york in the first game it's not like they're, you know, they've been playing a bunch of great defenses. And like you said, they're still only averaging 24 a game. Carolina should be able to go out and get some confidence just playing base. But if I'm John Papuchis, I'm looking at this game, not only at this game, but I'm looking at Duke in two weeks and a Duke team that scored 41 last week against Northwestern. And I'm going, okay, what are the calls that I know I'm going to need to make against them that are maybe a little bit beyond base? And what's some stuff that I need to know that I need to know what mistakes guys are going to make now so that I can clean some stuff up between now and then. And that's how I'm calling this game. I may give up an extra player or two in this game to know that I can call certain stuff against Duke after cleaning it up this week after a few additional mistakes. So there's a little bit of balance there. How much, how much you want to focus on just doing your job in the base and gaining confidence versus we need to learn some of this stuff to be able to be competitive against some of the better and more sophisticated offenses that we're going to play. Jason, for this show's purposes, break down base. Explain to our listeners, and I'm serious, we, we talk about simplify or you know the basic stuff. Break it down very simply for our listeners so they understand what we're talking about because – I think, like Greg mentioned, last week's game plan was pretty complicated on its face, and Carolina struggled executing it. Well, you know, actually, the interesting thing is I'm not sure exactly how complicated, you know, quote-unquote, last week's stuff was. It wasn't actually, I mean, to my eye, like they were running a bunch of exotic stuff. I mean, this was not a bunch of zone blitzes and all sorts of change stuff. What they did was... They just they asked the guys to do defensively some things that they didn't that they normally don't do as a part of their base packages. Uh, they changed a little bit, and and I think uh, Papucha's quote this week was telling, where he he said, "We got too far away from who we are. We're a pattern match team that would like to be a pressure team. Instead, we played zone and didn't pressure very much, and that's just so far out of the scope of what we normally do. It was all well intentioned, but obviously we weren't comfortable enough to do that in one week's preparation. So here's the thing is base is whatever your standard set of calls and personnel are. So most teams these days are a base nickel. So that's, you know, teams are going to run 65, 70% nickel generally on the lower end. I mean, if you're in the big 12, you're running 90% nickel, if not more. So most teams are running some version of a five defensive back base personnel. And then what your base defense is, is whatever set of, of calls is going to be your default set of calls. So some teams are base man-free coverage. 
with, say, a, a one-gap approach up front, letting the defensive ends upfield. That, that's back when I was at Florida State. That's what that's what Mickey Andrews ran. They they knew that defense knew that if you didn't get the call from the sideline, if something if something went wrong, you missed a signal or whatever, you just you know you would default to what they call jet robber as as the call. Jet means the defensive ends get upfield and after the quarterback. Defensive tackles are one gapping. Robber means you're playing man free, and then you've got one linebacker safety that's in the middle of the field reading the quarterback's eyes. That's basically what they ran a good portion of the time. And everything else that they did was some riff or variation off of that base package. So you, you know, you take that and then maybe you rotate from that initial look into a two deep look, or maybe you blitz a corner and now you rotate somebody over to take that. Everything is presuming the base coverage. What North Carolina is doing, according to Papuchas, is they're a pattern match team. So they're playing zone principles, but it's matchup zone, more like what Syracuse does in basketball. So it turns into a kind of man-to-man approach more often than not. And then he says, and we'd like to be a pressure team, you know, trying to put pressure on the quarterback with the front four in particular, letting those guys loose, and then maybe bringing a linebacker, a defensive back periodically to make it a five or six man rush to add a little bit more pressure. And again, you can match up as needed with those guys downfield. Well, what they couldn't, they felt like they couldn't do against Jackson is try to bring all that pressure, try to bring a bunch of stuff and let guys get upfield because then he just gouge you with your, with his feet. So what they tried to do is sit back in more softer zone coverage stuff for most of the game. There were times where they went more to match or man and they still got burned on those, but that's when that's when you saw like some of the crossing stuff and you know the shallows and things the mesh concepts and all that 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 really hurt them but what they tried to do is they tried to put more eyes on the quarterback and drop off a little bit and force him to beat beat them with their arm cutting them up in the in the zones and the problem is they just didn't do a very good job of communicating who is in what zone and getting their zone drops right and so it ended up having a lot of space for receivers to run into and Jackson's a lot better now at re- recognizing that stuff, and he torched him. So, you know, it backfired. And, and, and again, this was outside of the, the normal sort of zone or the normal sort of base scheme that they, that they would normally run. And he's basically saying, you know, we should have just tried to be us. We should have just tried to get after the quarterback and, you know, play a little bit more up in the face of the receivers and play a little bit more match type stuff rather than sitting back and trying to adjust what we did for, for Jackson. And that was a mistake because we just didn't execute it well. That's, that's what Papuchas said. And I think, I think by and large, that's, that's, that's more or less true. Greg, so hearing Papuchas talk about that this week, my question maybe is the obvious one, is why on earth would you attempt to do something that you haven't <laughs> done and likely can't do in a game like the Louisville game? It seemed like, we don't know if we have a shot being us. Let's just throw a flyer out here and pray it works. Uh, that's what I got from Papuchas's comments. Am I wrong there? Uh, no, not necessarily. But but I, I think it was interesting in, in listening to the comments of both Papuchas and Fedora leading up to the Louisville game. Uh, I think it was Fedora who said, you know, this is not necessarily the game where you want to pin your ears back and get after the quarterback. Even though we had talked last week about, if you look back to last year, the teams that had had success, LSU and Houston, 
you know, they combine for 19 sacks. Uh, and, you know, a lot of different things go into that. You know, maybe Houston and LSU, uh, not maybe, I think it's fair to say, they have better uh, defensive line pass rushers. And so they were able and to have more success with that. I think of those 19 sacks, only two or three, if I remember correctly, only two or three were on blitzes, which is remarkable. It tells you how much they, they managed to get rush with a standard four. Right. And North Carolina in the first game against California against an incredibly inexperienced offensive line, they managed one sack in three quarterback hurries. And the one sack was a one-yard loss because the quarterback was falling towards the, the line of scrimmage. And so I have to wonder if they kind of understood, look, we don't have the horses up front to be able to get after Lamar the way that you really need to be able to. And so we have to take a little bit of a different approach. Um, and kind of have to wonder if they're in, in no man's land. And they, they looked at the personnel that they had. They felt probably pretty comfortable with what they had on the back end uh, with guys like MJ Stewart. Uh, and, you know, Miles Dorn got a ton of potential, but clearly he's had some issues early. But maybe they thought our best shot is, is to mix it up a little bit and not be as aggressive. And I, I, I think it's refreshing to hear Papuchas acknowledge that, hey, you know, we tried something. It didn't work. We're going to get back to what we think we can do better. Instead of saying, you know, we don't know exactly who we are. I mean, I, I think the fact that he can acknowledge that a mistake was made I think that speaks well to kind of the coach that he is and uh, you know, possibly bodes well for what this defense can do moving forward. Jason, switching sides of the ball now. Last week, the intel that we had received was that going into the game, Chaz Surratt was going to be the starting quarterback and that no rotation had been planned. And Larry Fedora pretty much agreed to that after the game, saying that the plan was for, for Chaz to go essentially as long as he could. They'd play it by ear. But he, he mentioned in the postgame he didn't like the way that the final two drives of the first half played out. Chaz, by that point in time, his, his right hip was bothering him. So they went with Brandon Harris to start the second half. And lo and behold, Harris turns in a pretty good performance after halftime. So what appeared to be a dead quarterback competition now has life again. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious to your take, is that a problem at all? I know we've talked about this before. But from what you've seen, is it okay to go back and forth if both guys are playing as well as they did against Louisville? I think it's a whole lot better than if they're not playing well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think ideally you do by this stage know who you're rolling with. But, you know, the fact is both guys played really well against Louisville. And that, that has to leave you pretty comfortable feeling like you can run what you want with each guy. The question to me is, you know, how is how healthy is Surratt? And then, you know, you can make some of your decisions based on that. But I don't think it, it's one of those things where you're going to hurt the development of the offense or you're going to stunt the growth of Surratt if you're potentially playing more than one quarterback right now. The, the, the hard thing is you, want, you don't want to, you know, alternate every other drive or something like that to take away whoever's on the field's rhythm and you don't want whoever's out there to feel like he's always looking over his shoulder. And so that's the hard balance to strike. But if you can find a way to make sure that, you know, you know, both guys are going to be ready and that you're willing to play either guy that, that can be fine. But, but I do think, you know, at, at, with what we saw, if Surratt's not fully healthy this week, we'll probably see Brandon Harris. If Surratt is healthy, I still think 
they'll default to the younger guy who has has not lost the job at this point. I think he played pretty well in that first half. So, you know, again, I think maybe maybe you give each guy enough time, a little bit of time in this game. You want to keep them both fresh. But I think, you know, a big part of this, until we know exactly how healthy Surratt is, it may be a moot point. But I, I think generally, if I, if, I were, if I were coaching these two guys, I'd feel comfortable right now that I had two guys I, I felt like I could win some games with. And that, that's a whole lot better than where things were at the beginning of the season where they weren't sure and we weren't sure if they had one. And so, you know, better to have two than none. Uh-oh, you're going to get some heat for that comment, but I agree, especially if you have two that are pretty good. My question for you in this discussion is, the rotation doesn't really work when the players don't know what they're doing. But if you do it, if they have extended time, and you coach quarterbacks, albeit on the high school level, but it's, you know, it's not that far removed from a guy like Surratt, if your guy knows what to expect, shouldn't you expect that he plays much better than playing with one eye in front and one eye behind? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, and, I, again, that gets to my my comment about you don't want your quarterback ever looking over his shoulder. And this, I mean, even, you know, growing up with my, my dad, who had been a, a college quarterback and had been a part of a, a two-quarterback system, you know, I, I was raised kind of, <laughs> to begin with, philosophically opposed to two quarterback systems you can play two quarterbacks and if neither guy is jumping ahead to to win the job then you you may continue to give each guy you know some looks or whatever but ultimately you can't just jerk guys in and out of the game because what ends up happening is guys start playing tight quarterback wants to be on the field he wants to win the job and, and one thing you cannot do at the quarterback position is play not to make mistakes. You have to play with controlled aggression to, to be good at quarterback. You have to be willing to throw the ball into space. You have to be willing to trust what you see and go straight with that. You have to be willing to do that. If you're looking over your shoulder and you, you know that, well, if, I, if we don't score on this drive or if I throw an interception or whatever, something, something bad's going to happen – you can, you can start to clench a little bit, and maybe you're trying to avoid throwing that interception. Now you hold on to the ball a little too long. You, you know, as soon as you start trying to avoid throwing interceptions, you know what you're going to do? Probably going to throw interceptions. Your decision-making process is impaired because now instead of just trusting your eyes and, and, and rolling with what you see, you're, you're hesitating a little bit. There's, there's that, little, that, that little hitch that comes into your decision-making process that affects everything. So that's what you're always trying to prevent as a quarterback coach. And the hard part is anytime you've got, you've got two quarterbacks that are battling it out and, one's, and the one that's playing is worried about, you know, if I don't make this play or if I don't, we don't score here, then I'm not, I'm not going to go out there again. Now you've got that additional psychological thing that you have to manage. So that's where if you are going to rotate those guys, having a plan early in games and so on and saying, you know what, we're, we're going to get you you'll take the first quarter, you'll take the second quarter, and we'll go with you know, whoever's you know, playing better, whoever's got the hot hand in the second half, is a better approach than saying, all right, well, we'll give you each a drive and we'll see who, we'll see who plays better. Or, you know, well, we'll give you the first you know, two drives and, and you know, hopefully you play well enough to keep your job. You know, those are dangerous things to do with quarterbacks. Good question before we get to our vaunted predictions. 
Jason, what is your take on or how do you think Carolina will approach this game offensively? Vanilla has burned them already once this season against Cal. Old Dominion, different animal, but what do you think we'll see from the Carolina offense as far as the playbook in this ballgame? I, I think they'll open it up a little bit more again because what they're what they're really going to want to do, they're going to want to see. First of all, they're going to want to see which quarterbacks they're they're comfortable with, or which quarterback they're comfortable with. You know, if both guys are are healthy enough uh, to go, and from all all accounts, they should be. And they're going to want to see what they can do with each guy. You have to start testing stuff at this point. You got to find out who you are. And you have to be able to. You have to be. You have to start getting good at what you're going to need to be able to do. Again, it's the same thing we talked about before in terms of defense. You have, to, you have to figure out what things you're going to need to be able to do to be successful later on in the year, say against Duke or against Virginia Tech. This game, you're coaching with an eye towards those games as well. So you, you have to decide, okay, well, we're going to need to be able to throw these concepts in order to win those games. Well, then you better start throwing some of those concepts in this game. You know, you have to start repping that. You have to treat this almost like a, a glorified scrimmage, even though the, the opponent is is a real opponent. They're an FBS team. They can beat you if you don't play well. You still have to rep stuff that you're going to need later and not just try to play this as, well, you know, if we go vanilla and we just run the ball, we can probably get out of there with a win. Well, yeah, they might be able to do that. But you'd better learn how, you better get good or get better. You'd better use this as an opportunity to improve on some of the stuff that you're going to need against some of the teams that are in your conference and, and later on the schedule. All right, fellas, it's time to do the predictions. We're all, I believe, one and one this season. One we definitely missed. One that was obvious last week. Jason Staples. Well, you know, I think this is a, a good opportunity for a bounce back. Uh, I, I do think that, uh, that, old, that, that Old Dominion turns out to be a pretty good opponent. Uh, for for Carolina to to cure what ails them and in, in that they're they're not going to scare you with their ability to throw downfield. I think uh, this this uh, this plays into the hands of sort of what Carolina wants to be able to do defensively. So I don't think I don't see them scoring a whole lot of points in this game. Uh, I think uh, Carolina will be able to throw the football as well on this team as they need to continue to work on that. So uh, I, I think this ends up being a fairly comfortable road win for Carolina. I'm going to go with uh, say 38 to 13. North Carolina wins on the road over Old Dominion. Greg, you're up. Staples is killing me with his his scores because he's he's apparently looking over my shoulder. <laughs> I agree. Last week we talked about how this this game with Louisville was a bad matchup for North Carolina. I think this game today is a bad matchup for Old Dominion. Uh, North Carolina. You know, as always under Larry Fedora, the strength is with the offense, even though the offensive line is really banged up. That's ODU's strength. North Carolina's defense needs a confidence boost. Old Dominion's offense has really struggled. Uh, they're looking for some, some traction. So I think everything plays in North Carolina's favor, as Jason said. I was going to say 38-14. I changed my pick <laughs> last week. I'm sticking with it this week, 38-14. Good stuff, Greg. Y'all, y'all know each other way too well, or something like that. <laughs> I think it starts a little slow for Carolina, but I think like they have done um, in the past, sometimes they catch fire. I think Old Dominion will get a couple scores. I'm gonna say forty 
to 10, North Carolina. So that's four picks for North Carolina, no picks for Old Dominion. We'll see how we stand after this ballgame. Guys, that'll do it for this episode. I appreciate y'all taking the time to join me. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.